Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope that today's message will inspire you to grow in your journey of faith. We believe that hope is for everyone. So, no matter where you find yourself on your journey of faith, we believe Jesus is willing to meet you right where you're at. So again, thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Today we're going to start a brand new series called The Way. And if you've been tracking with us for a while, you know that the series leading up to Easter was called Prepare the Way. And so, Tony, what's up with this like way situation? Well, well, we were preparing the way for the Lord and that Lord has come and, and he didn't just come to die for us and then be resurrected like we celebrated last year, but he came to teach us how to live. And there's a specific way that we are called to Live Now, I think in this moment, I'm feeling a little bit of regret because it was my opportunity to love on some of you nerdy folks out there that the moment you see the way, you're expecting me to be wearing a Mandalorian helmet. And, and, and if you don't know the Mandalorian, then you should get to know the Mandalorian. It is worth your Apple TV plus hashtag sponsored ad. Uh, come on, for you to go and watch The Mandalorian. But so, so no, I'm not talking about The Mandalorian way, but kind of, sort of. I mean, The Mandalorian way is a code of living. And, and Jesus came to show us a way of life. And that way of life should affect the way we think. It should affect the way we speak. It should affect the way that we live. In fact, Jesus himself makes a huge statement in the book of John chapter 14 when he declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Did you know that before you and I, those of us that place our faith in Jesus and our disciples of Jesus. Before we were called Christians, we were called followers of the way. Did you know that in early church history, you and I weren't known as Christians or, or little Christ followers. We are known, or we were known, we were labeled as followers of the way. So over the next five weeks, we'll be exposing the ways of Jesus. We're going to learn the ways of Jesus and how they build one on each other and how that affects our lives. If our mission statement in this church begins with, we are existing to follow Jesus, then we should know who we're following and what we are following. So would you open up your Bibles, please, to the book of John, chapter 1. I'm going to be reading out of the 14th verse through the 17th verse. If you don't have a Bible, uh, that's okay. There's one in your seat underneath you, and you can actually take it home for free uh, if you want it. If not, there's a Bible appearing on the magical screen behind me, uh, and it says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Here it is, full of grace and truth. Say with me, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him. By the way, this is the same John that cried out, prepare the way. Cried out, this is he who, of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, say with me, fullness. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. We've received grace upon. Notice how it doesn't say we have earned grace upon grace. Notice how it doesn't say we've done enough to now get 
it says we have received grace upon grace. I'm going to break that down in a little bit. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, our next scripture today is in the book of Ephesians, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, second chapter. And if you know me, you know that this scripture has marked my life. And beyond my personal life, my prayer for you today is that it would begin to bring a revelation of God's beautiful grace in your life today. And, and, and check this out. It, it, it starts out with some really daunting stuff. And some of you are like, Tony, I finally invited somebody to church, and this is the scripture you're reading. Just hold on a second. It's going to get good. It's good. You got to know how bad it is before you can understand how good or the good gets, okay? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Holy smokes, I finally brought a friend to church. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom, all, among whom we all once lived. All of us. The passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But it doesn't end there. How many know God has the final word? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And here it is again, by grace. Say with me, grace. Grace, by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might be able to show the immeasurable riches of his, once again, grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. Turn to your neighbor, say, get over yourself. <clears throat> it is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, I am so grateful for your word. More than ever, your word is what lights our path. It truly does allow us to see beyond even ourselves as to what it is that you have for us. Today, I pray, Lord, for every man, woman, child, young, old, in between, a veteran in faith, a beginner in faith, wherever they may find themselves on their journey of life and faith today, I pray that you would reveal your son Jesus and the grace that he came to pour out among us. I pray, Father, that my words would be your words inspired by your spirit and that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, God, and a willingness to live out what you've called us to live out. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the, the story I'm about to tell, I've got permission to tell. Uh, my, my mother watches us. She, they, they, my mom and dad go to a different church. They're on staff at another church. But she watches our online stream every Monday evening. So I know she's going to watch this. And so I had to get permission to tell you that my mom was kind of stingy growing up. My mom was the kind of mom that would go grocery shopping and how many of you know that when you get a fresh load of groceries at home, you're excited to what? Eat it, right? Well, my mom would show up with groceries and then she'd begin to tell us how we shouldn't eat it all. Why? Because it'll run out quickly. And in my young mind, it never made sense because I thought food was meant to be consumed. So eventually it will run out and then you just go out and buy some more. But in my household, it was, uh, don't, eat, don't eat it all because we'll run out. 
right? And, and, and in my household, what would happen is by the time my mom allowed us to eat, the expiration date had come and, come and gone, and, and then the leftovers had gone bad, right? There's some mold in it. Now, now I don't blame my mom for this, and, and I make light of it now, but really, my, my mom grew up in a, in a scarcity mindset, right, where, where you've got to kind of hoard and protect what you, the little you do have, because eventually it's going to run out. And what does this have to do with, with what we're talking about as, as we now talk about the way of grace today? Well, you see, I think if we aren't careful, we approach God with a scarcity mindset, a mindset that goes, God, have you run out of grace for me yet? A mindset that goes, I've done too much. He's given me enough grace. He's, he's run out. And if we're really not careful, we treat people this way. I've given them enough grace. I'm fresh out. Before we even jump into today's message, I just want to make it very clear right off the bat. This Jesus we're preaching about today, he never runs dry. He is a well in which you can constantly draw from. And the more you draw, the more he has. And I'm telling you, he's a well that will never run dry. He doesn't run out of the things that make him who he is. This is why John himself, as he witnesses Jesus on the earth, says he's not just a little bit of God's grace and truth. He's not just, no, he says he is the fullness of grace and truth. And due to the fullness, the overflow of who he is, you and I, come on, we get to partake of grace upon grace. So today I want to talk to you about this idea of what theologians would define as the unmerited gift of divine favor, this thing we call grace. First thing I want to tell you about grace is that grace meets us right where we are at. Grace meets us right where we're at. John chapter 1, 14 says this. Pay attention to this. The word became flesh. This is God became flesh. And it says he dwelt among us. You, you notice how it doesn't say humanity built a tower that was tall enough to get to God so that they could dwell with him. Notice how it doesn't say humanity cleaned themselves up so that they could get to God. No, it says God came and dwelt in our midst. And you know what's beautiful about that is that it continues on to say that we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from God, full of grace and truth. Can I talk to you about this idea that Jesus meets you and I in his grace right where you are at? I was having just a conversation last week with a, with a non-believing person. By the way, if you're in the room or online and you uh, have put your faith in Jesus and, and you don't have non-believing friends, I want to encourage you to go out and get some non-believing friends. Okay? Um, I thought I was going to get a bigger amen from you guys, but that's okay. I'll just teach that better. Um, and, and here's why. Like Some of you are like, well, Tony, we're supposed to be in the world, not of it. But yeah, but like you actually got to be in the world. Like so, so get yourself some non-believing friends and have conversations like this, where I've got this guy that comes up to me and goes, in the, in the conversation that we're having, his biggest theological question to me is, okay, uh, 
like, why can't just all roads lead to the same God? Like, why can't just like my spirituality, my good works, my this, like, and what's so different about your Jesus and like my spirituality? I go, great question. Number one, Jesus makes the statement and proves it with his life, his death, burial, and resurrection, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to God the Father. So by the way, we do not believe in a plurality of ways to the Father. There is only one way to God the Father, that is Jesus Christ and he and he alone. Okay, I just want to clarify that. But, but here's the, here's the, the, the zinger. I said, I don't know, not, not really a zinger, but here's the hope. Any other religion tells you, do these things to get to the deity. Our belief says the deity came down to us. And it's the only one. It's the only God that looked at humanity and said, instead of making them come to me, I'm going to come to them. Grace meets you right where you are at. And this is good news, you guys, because it means he comes in the midst of it all. Do you have doubts today? Grace meets you in the midst of your doubts. Do you have questions for God? Can I just tell you, I got questions for God. I do. Do you have questions for His grace meets you in the midst of your questions. Do you have fears? Do you have doubts? His grace meets you in the midst of your fear and your doubt. Are you hurt? Are you in pain today? His grace meets you in the midst of your hurt and your pain. Let me take it a step further. Some of you that have experienced traumatic experiences. Jesus' grace meets you in the midst of your trauma. I don't know if it's okay to say this in church, but I'm going to say it anyway. His grace meets you in the midst of your anger, in the midst of your rage, in the midst of you trying to sort the mess that life can be at times out. In the midst of your loneliness. He meets us in the midst of the messes made for us by other people. And if we're honest, by us for ourselves. He met, meets us in the midst of it all. You know what's crazy to me about God's grace is that there's almost this magnetic pull to the messes of the world. Like, have you, have you read your Bible and realized God is almost attracted to the messy of the messiest of people? I mean, th th this is the guy that calls teenagers to be his disciples. Like, do you know how stinky teenagers are in a post-deodorant world? <laughs> now let's talk about a pre-deodorant world in Bible times. No offense, teenagers, we love you, stink and all. But get that, get that handled. The shower day will go a long way. <laughs> right? Do, this is the God who calls a stuttering person to speak to the masses. This is a God who reveals his resurrection to a prostitute and a witch. Like, it's almost as if he's attracted to messes. And I don't know about you, but in my own life, I have watched as God's grace meets me in the midst of my mess time and time and time again. Because why? It's who he is. In fact, just last weekend, we celebrated Easter. And can I tell you a big reason why we celebrate Easter is because this is a God that came to rescue those that were in a mess. He's attracted almost. 
in one of my favorite books. It's, a, it's an older book, and I highly recommend it for you to read, uh, especially if you are okay with being confronted with religion and tradition. And you want to be confronted with the reality of the gospel of Jesus that is not black or white and there's a ton of gray in it. And can I just tell you right off the bat, if you walk away today saying, well, that's not fair, great, I've done my job because grace ain't fair. And in this book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, the author Brennan Manning says this, one of the mysteries of the gospel tradition is this strange attraction of Jesus for the unattractive. The strange desire for the undesirable. This strange love for the unlovely. This so beautifully displays the fullness of Jesus' grace and truth. He comes to us. He accepts us even before we were acceptable. And because of his truth that sets us free, he begins to transform who we are. In the church world, we use the word blessing a lot. You use it. Right? Like, how, how you doing? If you're hyper spiritual, somebody comes up to you, goes, How you doing? You go, I'm too blessed to be stressed, brother. Right? Like, and, and we talk about blessings, right? And, and like, even like today, we watched a generational blessing as a grandfather, along with his son, baptized his grandson, right? Like, a generational blessing. That's beautiful. Uh, but, but blessing in biblical terms is literally a father figure coming down and to, to, on, on both knees and facing a child, grabbing him by the face and talking at his level. This is what God, through his grace, does. He comes down to our level right here, holds us right here, face to face, and says, I'm right here. So can I tell you, you, you can trust in him to supply the grace that you need in any season of your life. Right where you're at today, his grace is available to you. Do you need grace to endure this season? It's there for you. Do you need grace to forgive somebody? It's there for you. Do you need grace to heal? It's there for you. Do you need grace to be able to process some things in your life? It's available to you. Are you brokenhearted? Are you alone? Are you lonely? Are you, are you looking at your life and much like me, maybe wishing you were farther along? There is grace available to you, my friend. And the best news of it all is this. And I know that for some of you that have been walking with Jesus, this may not be new, but can I tell you, do not become calloused to this news. Do not become calloused or jaded or hard-hearted to the reality that this, the, what I'm about to say is one of the best things you'll ever hear. And that's this. It is a gift that you don't have to earn. You simply receive it. Why? Because grace is a free gift. Now, I know this is my second point, but there's actually two parts to this point. But before we jump to the second part of this second point, can I just tell you, grace being a free gift says this, I got you covered. I got you covered. Have you ever been to a restaurant with a friend and you strategically leave to the bathroom right before the bill comes? Anybody else do that or is it just me? Sin, <laughs> sinful people like me. I'm just kidding. And you come back and while you were in the bathroom, they magically paid for the bill. Right? And you're like, oh man, I just happened to be gone when the bill came, right? No, no, okay, maybe that's just me. Okay, anyway. 
You know what's crazy? Is when somebody pays for your bill at a restaurant, it's crazy for you to then go back and spend your money to try to pay for the bill that's already been paid. That makes no sense. Your friend goes, I got you covered. And you go, oh, it's already been paid for. Here, let me, let me pay for it again. When we don't understand grace, this is what we do oftentimes. Jesus already said, I got you covered. It's a free gift to you. You simply receive the gift. And you know what we do sometimes? We try to do what we couldn't originally do for ourselves. And, and, and can I just say, it's kind of dumb to pay a debt that's already been paid. So let me talk to you about the fact that it's a free gift. John 1, 16 to 17 says, For from his fullness, oh man, I love this, we have all received grace upon grace. From his fullness, you and I receive. Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift from God. You know something about a gift? Is a gift is not something you can earn, but it is something you can receive. But, but let me clarify something here, because sometimes we get it twisted. And because it's free, we think it's cheap. Which leads me to the second half of my second point today. Grace is a free gift, but it's not cheap. Parents, how many of you know that when grandparents show up to Christmas with boxes of Dollar Tree toys, all you see is garbage within a week? Because how many of you know that cheap toys break after one usage? Come on, right? Like you've, you've gotten like, or you've gotten that gift that that so-and-so got on Oriental Trading, right? And they waited seven months for it to be shipped from overseas, but it was 99 cents, right? Like, and then you use it the first time and after the first time it's broken. Why? Because it's, it's cheap. If we're not careful, we view grace in the same way. Just because it was free to me, it doesn't really have much value. It's the opposite. It's free to us because it cost him, hear me church, everything. It's free to us because it cost him everything. Let's give grace the value that it merits. To miss the cost or the price that had to be paid is to miss its infinite value and worth. Let me take it a step further. To not give grace the value it deserves is to take away your worth. Because, and, and if you've heard me preach before, you've heard me say this, and I will not move off of it until you can show me biblically how I'm off. But there's this famous saying out there that talks about how you're enough. Let me burst your bubble and say, you, to, say to you, you will never be enough. The only thing that is sufficient in this life is his grace. Okay? We, you and I will never be enough. Within ourselves, we can never be enough, no matter what we do. But you know what we do have? We have a value that is beyond imagination. You and I are, 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 just because we're not sufficient doesn't mean there's not a worth or a value to us. Our worth and our value was so big that God would be willing to give his one and only son to replace places, to trade places with us. So to not value grace is to devalue yourself. It's to devalue God's creation. 
Now let me talk to you about what it cost him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 says this, a beautiful gut-wrenching scripture. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me explain this to you just theologically here. Jesus was a perfect, spotless human, fully human, fully God. It blows your mind, but that's just the way it was. He never sinned. He never made a mistake. I know it's hard to believe, but he, he never thought a bad thought. He never said a bad word, and he never acted out of spite or sin. He is a perfect, fully God, fully man. And there's this moment, even as we looked at Good Friday this last, uh, two, you know, two Fridays ago, there's this moment where Jesus now going to the cross and, and it, there's this moment where he's hanging on the cross and he cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Theologians would argue that what took place in that moment was the, not just the weight of sin, but he who knew no sin became sin in that moment. And in that moment, as a sin of the world, your sin, my world, God knew he could not relate with sin. And so he turns his face from his own son. That's what it cost him. Somebody asked me the other day, what does is, what is being the righteousness of God mean? Okay, you guys ready? This is... This is why they pay me the big bucks to be the in-house theologian. You guys ready for this? Get ready. It's like there's a lot of Greek. There's a lot of Aramaic. Just get ready. It means you go from wrong standing to right standing with God. So you want to complicate it, right? Like what is like the righteousness of God? No, it means those of us that didn't deserve to be in right standing are now in right standing. And check this out, you guys. I hope you're tracking with me. God doesn't stop there. He goes, because you're in right standing, now you get to inherit the same thing my son would inherit. Are you seeing this? Jesus is literally stripped of his rights so that they could be given to us. Undeserving, I don't mean to insult you, filthy, vile sinners. freely given to us, came at a high cost to him. This reality should humble us. This reality should bring us to our knees. And let me offend you a little bit because the gospel is offensive. That filthy, disgusting, wretched sinners that would mess up time and time and time again that those of us that have offended God, those of us that have given to our we, we, wait, 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 we become the righteousness of the Father through his grace? It should humble us. Now I know I quoted the Ragamuffin Gospel book and I, I want to quote one more piece from it where Brandon Manning says this, the deeper we grow in the spirit of Jesus Christ, the poorer we become, the more we realize that everything in life is a, here's a word, gift. Yeah. 
The tenor of our lives becomes one of humble and joyful thanksgiving. Awareness of our poverty and ineptitude causes us to rejoice in the gift of being called out of darkness, come on, into wondrous light and translated into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. You've heard me say this before. I want to say it again. If you've been here, let it be a reminder if you're new. Just it's our stance. The longer we walk with Jesus does not mean the less we need him. You can ask any gray hair around here who's been walking with Jesus a long time. The longer we walk with the Lord, the more aware we become of how much more we need him. And to think that we get to a place where, well, I've walked with him long enough to need him less is to sell him short. And it's to once again elevate us into a place to paying a debt that's already been paid. So church, I'm telling you, this should inspire a humility and a contrite attitude that goes, I don't deserve this. And because I don't deserve this, I am so grateful for what has been given to me. And because I receive this gift now, and this is my third and final point, now I care for that gift. Why? Because grace incites a reasonable response. Again, I'm going to say it so that it appears on the screen. Grace incites a reasonable response. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, don't get it twisted. The good works don't come in the first verse. Do you notice the progression of the book of Ephesians chapter 2? It begins with our wretchedness. Then you've got God's grace that literally comes crashing in. And the result of it is good works. So don't, don't get the progression backwards. It's not I do good works so that I can get God's mercy and love and grace and salvation. It's because of his mercy and salvation, I get to now walk out as a reasonable response in good works. I would say it to you this way if you're taking notes. You can quote me on this. Repentance isn't what we do to earn more forgiveness. It's what we do because we have already been forgiven. I'm going to say it again. Repentance isn't what we do to earn more, <coughs> excuse me, earn more forgiveness. Wow, I'm a 12-year-old boy all of a sudden. <laughs> It's what we do because we have been forgiven. <laughs> that was embarrassing. <laughs> I squeaked all four years of high, of, of high school, and I still just went from soprano to alto, not even like the boys, like a bass or tenor. Some of you that know music know what I'm talking about. Ask my wife. I'm constantly singing the alto part. She's like, you're a man. Can you please sing the baritone or the tenor part? I'm like, the tenor part's too low for me. Anyway. So I, I squeaked all those years for nothing, right? Like, back to grace. And, and, I, and this is where I hope you get this in your heart, okay? Because this is probably one of the most important things that's going to be talked about today, and that's this. Grace now empowers you to believe for a new life, for a new beginning, for, for a new creation, for you to think differently, for you to speak differently, for you to live differently. You don't have to, in other words, be shackled up in chains any longer. 
And I, and I bet if you're sitting here, you're going, okay, this grace thing, is that, like the, is that just like a free pass then, Tony? Like, you're going, okay, so like if I keep sinning, is there just going to be more? Like if you're telling me God doesn't run out of grace, can I just kind of keep sinning? So I, like I get more grace? Like that kind of sounds like a good deal. I'm glad you asked the question. Let me answer that question for you. Romans 6, 114 says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Hear this, and I want you to get this in your heart. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, check this out, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In other words, there's new life for you. There's a new approach for you. We don't know, we don't know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body, I'm sorry, we know, excuse me, yeah. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. I hope this is good news for you. I know it's a long, it's a long verse here, but keep, uh, scripture here, but keep, keep up with me. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he gives, he lives to God. So you, say with me, so you, say so me, also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Wow. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Some of you have got to get this in your spirit since you are not under the law, but under grace. So if now we're under the law, I mean, I'm under grace, excuse me. And if we've been covered by that grace and we're called from darkness into light, then that means now that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. And can I tell you in life, you're going to be a slave to something and you can be a slave to your past, to your propensity to sin or you and I could be those that are, that are enslaved to the righteousness of God. And this is, this is good news. This is good news because it means that you can be set free from the things that you've been carrying around for years. Can I, can I just say something here? There's something I said last week. There's two things I said last week that I want to now expand on a little bit. Last week I said that we will be a church that will never shy away from miracles. Do you guys remember that? That in a moment, God can do the unthinkable. The impossible is made possible through him. And then last week, I also told you that I, I will always continue to do my best to be honest, brutally honest, and vulnerable in front of you. Because guess what? I'm not trying to put up a front. So today, I want to get even more personal with you, a little more brutally honest with you about my own experience in having carried around a ball and chain for years 
And in a moment in God's presence, things began to change. If you're a close friend of mine here, you, you know that approximately, approximately three years or so ago, I was in a really bad mental place. Um, you know, when, when, we, when we describe depression, it's not that I was gloomy. And when we say suicidal thoughts, it's not that I just had suicidal thoughts. It's that I was convinced, genuinely convinced that this church, my family, and quite frankly, this world would be better off if I didn't live in it. And every morning was tough to just wake up. And, and if I'm honest with you, and, and this is not like, martyrdom or for you to like feel bad for me or like but like it's even worse when you struggle with that like in as a leader where like people depend on you and like people are looking to you and I remember during that season there were months you guys that just getting up out of bed was excruciating I, I and I got to a point right around Christmas time where I just I decided that that was it and so I wrote a literal suicide letter. And I didn't go into this much detail first service, but I, I will the second service. And, and my wife walked in um, to me holding my gun in my room. I was convinced, genuinely, I was convinced this world would be better off if I didn't exist in it. I, I, there was something in my head and I just couldn't get out of it. And like, I mean, this is Christmas time. This is Christmas Eve morning. And for us Latinos, that's when the party starts. We're scheduled to be at my parents' house that afternoon. And I am convinced after months of trying to battle this dark passenger that my family and you guys as a church, and if you know, back then I was the assistant pastor of this church and I'm so grateful for our leadership at the time that covered me and, 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 and helped me through that season said, all right, let's take a step back and, and, and we're going to do, and I tried everything. And I was in this cycle. And you can ask my wife, I mean, it was dark day after dark day. And like, there's beauty all around me. Kids are thriving. The church was growing. I had good relationships. And yet inside of me, there was this thing that if I'm honest, for years I had believed and it had finally reared its ugly head and I could no longer hide it. I couldn't hide it. I couldn't mask it. I couldn't medicate it anymore. And it came to a head. And I remember, I'll never forget, it was the first sermon preached a week later on the first of the year. And I'm, there's nobody here praying for me. There's no worship team. It's just me and God. And I cry out to God. And you may or may not believe what I'm about to tell you, but in that moment, the darkness lifted. Like, I mean, I'm telling you, in an instant, I, I cried out and all I said was, I need your grace. I need your grace right here, right now, God. If you're real, meet me right here, right now. And you can ask anyone who's close to me, from that day forward, things never looked the same again. From that, you can ask my wife, the, the next morning, the next morning, the, the, the darkness, thank you, Mitch, the, the darkness lifted, and now, now let me just talk, talk to you about this. Then I went into a year and a half of intense therapy. I did, and, and I, am, I am an advocate for it. 
I mean, some of y'all go to therapy once a month. Your boy was in therapy three times a week, okay? And, and there were moments where it culminated in a 24-hour holding. I'm just being honest with you. And, and, and I learned a ton. But it was that moment that I cried out for the grace of God that things began to shift. And I'm here to tell you today, my friend, I don't know what's tying you down. I don't know what ball and chain you've been carrying. But can I tell you that the grace of God is available today for a brand new beginning? for your chains to be broken. And, and I get that maybe preachers have used this and have manipulated it and, and they get you excited and they get you to buy their hankies on 800 numbers and all this stuff for you to wave them. And, and No, I'm talking about the reality of the grace of God coming and slamming into your reality and breaking things out. So I'll say it to you this way. His mercy gives you and I what we don't deserve while his grace empowers and inspires us to live, believe, and walk differently. This is why we say hope for all. Like this is exactly why we say hope for all. Because there is no situation that his grace can't meet. Because there is, I'm telling you, and, 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 I, and I get it, some of you are passing me through the filter of passionate Tony. You're wondering where my passion comes from? This is where it comes from. Someone who shouldn't be here. Yet the grace of God not only offered a new day, but begins to transform and regenerate a new person in me. And I'm telling you what, man, if you can do it for me. I'm almost done, okay? I'm going to land the plane pretty quick. Might be a little turbulent. <laughs> Christian theologians define grace, just as I said at the beginning of the sermon, as an unmerited, excuse me, an unmerited gift of divine favor for salvation. But they go further. But they also define it as the divine influence operating in individuals for their regeneration and sanctification. Grace is a divine influence operating within an individual for their regeneration and sanctification. So because I'm greatly moved by this unmerited gift, I can't help but respond. I can't help but respond with a grateful heart, but also a hopeful heart that his grace empowers me to live differently. Now I can get up here, I can share my story. And by the way, I'm going to just boldly say this to you. I hope you don't use anything I just personally shared against me. And I hope that that's how we handle everyone's stories. That we don't weaponize their past. And I'll, I'm going to go a step further and tell you, like, God have mercy on our souls when we weaponize the story of people. And by the way, yes, I am doing this strategically. Like, I want to lead us into vulnerability. So here you go. And so I hope when you get around small groups, you don't just go, yeah, too blessed to be stressed, brother. But that you, you create some relationships and you go, man, this is what I'm going through. 
And he goes, these are the doubts. These are the questions I've got. And that you would meet a graceful, loving God in the midst of it. Okay, that's another sermon for another time. I got to end this thing. It's really easy for some of us to accept this grace for ourselves. And this is where I got to land the plane, but I got I to drop this in, into your hopper right now. And that this, that's this. The Bible's clear that that which we freely receive, we must also freely give. So this idea of grace isn't just for us. It's not just for Tony up here crying his eyes out like he always does. It's not just for you and your mess. It's for the people that offended you. It's for the people that hurt you. It's for the people that, that we still need to forgive even when they don't recognize that they've done something that needs to be forgiven. I know. I'm telling you, even in my own spirit as I say it, I'm battling to say it. Band, you can come on up. But, but here's, here's the culmination of what I just said is, church, can you imagine if we became a community that understood grace so well that we began to give it out as freely as we have received it? Can you imagine what relationships in this room would look like? I'd venture to say we'd forgive quicker. I would venture to say we would offer the benefit of the doubt more than be those that are critical towards each other. I think we would begin to believe the best in each other as opposed to reluctantly kind of hold back and cross our arms. I think an entire community would notice that is a people that has something different. In fact, in fact, I, I want you to know something. One of my life philosophies, and, and I don't always get it right, but one of my life philosophies is this, is, is I start with grace. I don't end with grace, I start with grace. Any situation that I'm faced with, I wanna start. You sit in my office and you have to confess something. You sit in my office, you, you, you're going through something. You sit in my office, there's an offense, and, and I wanna begin with grace. In fact, there's, there's actually even one of our elders here always says to me, and this is something he learned from his pastor before me, was, man, we're going to be heavy on grace. Heavy on grace, Tony. Heavy on grace. I'll come to this guy. You guys, and I, I know you might not believe me, but I come crying to this guy all the time. I know it's hard to believe that I cry. And I'm like, really, this, you know, this is the situation or this is the thing. We're going to be heavy on grace. Heavy on grace heavy on grace what would happen if a community became heavy on grace because here's a beautiful thing and I know that some of you are already internally battling with this it's like well Tony does that mean we just kind of like accept everything as it is you know I, I need you to understand grace empowers the change that you and I cannot force it's a force to be reckoned with it inspires transformation in people Mercy gives us what we don't receive. Grace inspires and empowers us to do what God has called us to do. So here's what we're going to do. I asked the band to sing a, an old hymn, Amazing Grace, and, and we, with a little bit of a revamp. Uh, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some time right now. The, the song's going to kind of start like right here, and you're going to take some time to just meditate and think on what is it that you have got to give over to the Lord? 
What are things that maybe you've been striving for to try to get to him and he's telling you, hey, I'm coming to you? Well, or maybe, maybe you're here today and, and you're going like, yeah, I get that he meets me where I'm at, but like I can't seem to change. Like things, can you believe today for a new day? Can you believe that his grace is available to you today? What, what's your response today? And what I want you to do is, is as the song begins to grow, I want you to move yourself from a meditation, contemplative kind of a, a moment to then there's going to be a moment in the song where we begin to declare freedom, where we say our chains are gone, we've been set free, our God, our Savior has ransomed us. And I want that to become the cry of your heart and the declaration of your heart. So would you stand to your feet? And at any time here, for those of you in the room that you need prayer during this next uh, five or so minutes of response, you can leave your seat at any time. And there's people over at the prayer corner in the back that are willing to pray with you, process with you, talk to you. They're not weird. They're not gonna embarrass you. They've got some breath mints back there too. So they even have good breath. And anytime you can leave your seat and go do that. But for the rest of us, I want us to take a moment to meditate on this and then let our heart's declaration be, there is a new day. There is freedom in him. So let's sing together. Thank you once again for joining us today. We hope today's message encouraged you, challenged you, and caused your faith to grow. If you enjoyed today's message, we highly encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. That way you don't miss out on any future messages. To get to know us, to get connected with us, and to know how you can best partner with us, head to our website, LegacyChurchID.com or come see us in person at our campus in Meridian, Idaho. We look forward to connecting with you. May God bless you and have a great rest of your day.